Hello, friends, and welcome to Thursday. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb today and suggest something that would have seemed utter nonsense as late as a month ago. I am seeing the stirrings in Washington of a new era of, well, I'm not sure what to call it, unity? Oh, that seems way too strong. Bipartisanship doesn't really convey what's going on. Uh, let me try departisanship. Well, that's kind of clunky, isn't it? Look, don't get me wrong. Democrats and Republicans won't join hands and sing Kumbaya anytime soon. Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy will continue to ambush Democrats every chance they get. Expect bitter battles over background checks and immigration reform and civil rights protections and Ketanya Brown Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump is not going to stop telling his big lie, and your Fox News-obsessed Uncle Bob will remain in his hermetically sealed alternative universe. But ever since the run-up to Putin's invasion of Ukraine, I've noticed something in Washington I haven't seen in, in three decades, a quiet understanding that we're in a new Cold War, potentially even a hot one, which requires that we join together in order to survive. It's a subtle shift, uh, more of a tone than anything else. I saw it yesterday morning when U U Ukraine President uh, Vladimir Zelensky addressed Congress from Ukraine. When he showed lawmakers a gut-wrenching video of the war's consequences, many eyes filled with tears. The lawmakers shared, according to Maine's independent Senator Angus King, a collective holding of breath. That Republicans and Democrats shared anything, that they were even capable of a collective emotion, is itself remarkable. With bipartisan support, Ukraine is receiving unprecedented military and humanitarian aid to fight Putin's war, including anti-aircraft systems that many experts say can defend against bombs and missiles from Russia's land-based weaponry. But beyond Ukraine, you can also discern the shift in a series of recent across-the-aisle agreements. After literally 200 failed attempts, the Senate just passed an anti-lynching law. The Senate has also given sexual misconduct claims firmer legal footing, with a new law prohibiting settlements containing agreements not to disclose such claims. The Senate also just approved sweeping postal reform, and it has given the green light to a long-awaited reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act as part of a massive spending bill. I'm hearing from Senate staffers that they're close to bipartisan agreement to strengthen antitrust law. Also, on a measure to expand semiconductor manufacturing, and another measure to limit the cost of insulin. And on it goes. Okay, it's not as dramatic as voting rights or an increase in the minimum wage, but compared to the last few years, it really is extraordinary. You may not have heard much about these initiatives because the media only picks up on bitter conflict and name-calling, but they're real. I think something new is happening in Washington, and I think I know why. You see, I came to Washington in 1974 in the Ford administration and then worked in the Carter administration. 
The Cold War was raging during those years, serving as a kind of silent backdrop for everything else. Democrats and Republicans had different views on a host of issues, but we worked together because it was assumed that we, we had to. We faced a common threat. The Cold War produced an array of bipartisan legislation involving huge investments in America, legislation that at the time was justified by the Soviet threat, but in reality had much more to do with the needs of the nation. The National Interstate and Defense Highway Act was designed to, quote, permit quick evaluation of target areas in case of nuclear attack and get munitions rapidly from city to city. Of course, in subsequent years, it proved indispensable to America's economic growth. America's huge investment in higher education in the late 1950s was spurred by the Soviets' Sputnik satellite. The official purpose of the National Defense Education Act, as it was named, was to, quote, ensure trained manpower of sufficient quality and quantity to meet the national defense needs of the United States. But it trained an entire generation in math and science. It expanded access to higher education in America. It changed the future of America. The Defense Department's Advanced Research Projects Administration served as America's de facto incubator for new technologies. It was critical to the creation of the Internet, as well as to new materials technologies. John F. Kennedy's launch, the space race, to the moon in 1962, was intended so that space wouldn't be, quote, governed by a hostile flag of conquest, that is, the Soviet Union. But, of course, it stood for much else, had much larger consequences at home. Then, in November 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, and in December 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. Just three years later, Newt Gingrich became Speaker of the House and launched the angriest and most divisive chapter in modern American political history. Look, I was there. I remember the change in Washington as if a storm had swept in. Weeks before, Republican members of Congress occasionally gave me a hard time, but they were generally civil. Suddenly, I was treated as if I were the enemy. Looking back, I can't help wonder if the Cold War held America together, gave us common purpose, reminded us of our interdependence. With its end, we had nowhere to turn, except maybe on each other. If the Cold War had not ended, I, I seriously doubt Gingrich would have been able to launch a new internal war inside America. Had the Soviet menace remained, I doubt Donald Trump would have been able to take up Gingrich's mantle of hate and conspiracy. So is Putin now having the same effect as the old Soviet Union did on America's sense of who we are? If we descend into a new Cold War with Russia, is it possible we could in turn come together? Perhaps, as has been the case since the dawn of human history, the enemy of my friend is my friend.